Welcome everybody to the first video on the Everything EOS channel since becoming the ENF's official YouTube channel. I'm here with two people that need no introduction. Eve LaRose, the chief of the EOS Network Foundation, Dan Larimer, the architect of EOS IO, the CEO and founder of Clarionos. There's so much we want to talk about. Dan's been publishing a couple of blogs. We got the working groups on the ENF side about to publish their blue papers. We'll give you some insight into that. I just want to take this opportunity to clear up some of the misunderstandings I've been seeing throughout the Telegram and Discord channels. And I think this format's the perfect opportunity to do so to allow both the ENF and Clariano to speak on how they envision EOS moving forward and EOS IO. So first question, what is the relationship between the ENF and what Dan's working on with Clarianos and Eden 2.0 and Mandel? Well, I think so. I think at this point, it's 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 somewhat obvious that uh, we're both supporting each other, um, or we're working together to a certain extent, and uh, we're, we're essentially supporting the ecosystem. Now, the stakeholders for both parties are they do have overlap, but they're also different. So the ENF works for the token holders. The ENF represents all of the token holders. Dan happens to be one of those token holders. Dan happens to be one of those stakeholders. And he's working on his ideas and on his application and what he wants to work on. Basically, both are happening, happening at the same time. But we see with the ENF that we're working on chain-wide or chain-wide chain initiatives, whereas Dan is working on his initiative. There are overlaps between what's what he's working on and what we're working on. And essentially, we're in a new process. We're in a new a new era on EOS where you can have multiple teams working on improving and on working on initiatives, improving EOS, and even greater that EOS IO, which affects all of the EOS IO iterations. It's the first time that we're in that position. Uh, and it, prior to this, everything was being filtered through block one. We now have essentially, Dan and I were talking, and the opportunity in a way to fund multiple startups at the same time and having them all work on different competing ideas, either overarching or competing ideas, and seeing which ones will ultimately win and which one will bring everybody else up. Prior to this, prior to the ENF or even Dan being back into the community, everything was being filtered through block one. And that applied to not just EOS, but all other EOS IO iterations as well. So we're in a way in a new uh, era that we have not been before. And there will be stepping on toes and there will be um, some tensions because we've never been here before. We're figuring out that process of what that is going to look like in real time. Uh, and so the ENF and Dan working together, working concurrently on certain things, separately on other things, sharing vision on some things, maybe competing on vision on other things, but we're doing it live. You're seeing it as it's happening. Yeah, I think that's a, a pretty good summary. I think it would probably be helpful to understand what it is I'm all about why I'm on the EOS uh, platform for building on my applications. Um, you know, I have long had the mission of creating free market solutions for security and life, liberty, property, and justice for all. You've probably heard me say that a million times over the past decade, uh, and that's still what I'm up to. And you know, I wrote my book, More Equal Animals, where I really dive in deep to the uh, hard problems with decentralized governance um, and how can you reach a consensus uh, among a large group of people in a way that doesn't result in, uh, the, I guess, de facto dictatorship, uh, centralization around uh, the incumbents in whatever organization. 
right? Whether it's the incumbent mining pool operators or the incumbent exchanges or, uh, you know, the incumbent API nodes, right? You know, there's a, an article I read recently on uh, the structure of the Ethereum network and how almost all API queries are going through two or three companies uh, and uh, NFTs are disappearing from people's wallets because one of the companies providing API services blacklisted it. It's still on the blockchain, but you can't see it. Uh, and that type of centralization, uh, solving those governance problems, uh, solving the coordination problem, how do you get thousands of people to contribute to public goods, to recognize everyone's contributions, uh, and to do so in a way that supports viral growth of community. But that's a really big vision. A lot of it has to do with um, social engineering kind of things, uh, game theory and the like. Uh, and so that's sort of the area I'm specializing in. And it's, not, it's an area that's not immediately relevant to a lot of other things, but it can help the EOS network. For starters, building on the EOS network, using the EOS network to uh, create community specific tokens and provide liquidity to community specific tokens. Um, I want to have a user experience for my platform built on top of EOS that uh, is seamless and people enjoy and yet it's still decentralized. So I'm working with the ENF and Eve to identify the the rough points on the EOS network that are preventing me from delivering that seamless user experience. And my belief is that it's also preventing a lot of other applications uh, from delivering the same seamless experience. So there's, there's alignment to make sure that the core protocol, both the um, node EOS software that's actually running the network and the system contract, which is the uh, smart contract driven um, operating system layer, if you will, on top of the EOS network that controls things like resource allocation and account names and things like that. So I'm really looking to improve the uh, system level infrastructure. One of the things my team here at Clarionis has is uh, most of the core developers who built EOSIO on the team. And one of the things we are doing is uh, you know, creating Mandel Mandel is the future of EOSIO, uh, and it's being funded by EOS Network Foundation, uh, and we're building and releasing that um, for, uh, for the community. So my company has kind of like a dual, dual roles. We do contracting to deliver specific feature requests provided by the ENF and broader community that are funded, and we're doing our own um, business where we're trying to, you know, uh, create a viral online social platform that people can participate in. So, you know, that's, there's a lot of overlap, um, a lot of synergy, uh, but clearly two different uh, objectives. Um, and so that's why we're working together. So Dan, why don't you work on what I want you to work on? Because I think that that question is brought up to you almost daily. Hey, Dan, why aren't you working on EVM? Why aren't you working on the things that I believe as a token holder are important to the ecosystem? Yeah, so you know, everyone 
thinks that things have to be done single-threaded. Uh, and uh, Well, because that's what we've had, right? That's all we've had, essentially. Yeah. And by, by single-thread, I mean, there's only one thing. The whole community can only work on one thing at a time. And there's debate over, should it be EVM? Should it be account names? Should it be token symbols? Uh, should it be DeFi? Should it be whatever the hot topic of the day is? And they'd be like, well, if you just did this one thing, that would solve everything. The, the correct answer is we need all these things done uh, at maximum velocity possible. Uh, and that the person best suited for doing some of these things is the person most passionate about whatever it is that's being done. I happen to be passionate about decentralized governance uh, and incentive models and solving that hard problem. That's a very hard problem that no other blockchain has solved. And if we solve it and make it viral, I think it can have huge impacts on the network. We're feeling the growing pains right now, right? I, I'm not sure if people realize that the growing pains of the current process of now being able to essentially govern and or create processes for the chain itself right now alongside other EOSIO iterations are feeling the exact growing pains that you're likely wanting to work on. Right, that the, what you're trying to do may come and help what we're currently feeling right now. It doesn't take away from that. It may propose ideas that may come and help that, while also having other groups also proposing ideas on how to resolve these growing pains. There, there's other things to note too. Like, there's six different working groups all working in parallel here, talking single-threaded versus multi-threading. There, there's a, a wide EOS universe of development going on, and all very for the first time for the first time in a very long time if not forever so i saw that dan posted one of his blogs he posted two last week and there's all this feedback coming out immediately and there were people why aren't you working on evm everybody evm's being worked on right now eos argentina they're contracted to build it it'll be released uh sometime before summer most likely like this is all still happening what dan does is what dan's doing that's not, Dan is not EOS. There is a lot of other uh, work being done in parallel with Dan. And some of it may compete with each other. Some of it might not, but the conversation's happening now. Nobody, nobody liked when, when block one would work in, in, in a silo and it'd just be quiet and the community didn't know what was going on. For the first time ever, this opportunity of innovating out in the open, sharing ideas, taking the feedback, um, learning from that feedback and growing from that feedback. This is the first time it, it's ever happened before. It's and happening in real time. It's happening it right now. That is the process. There are so, going to be growing so, pains because we've never been here. So what we need to figure out is how do we have multiple teams working on multiple things at the same time, competing for attention, competing for essentially being able to uh, either uh, merge their proposals into the, the core code and or competing for resources. And yeah, some people have more gravitas than others. Damn, when you write something, people read, people listen. Surprise! Why is that a surprise to people? Yes, and the working groups are being given a platform to be able to do the same. Dan doesn't need the platform. He is the platform to be able to do that. And so we've got all these things working concurrently that will be competing for attention for resources. Ultimately, it is messier, it is much harder to do this in parallel because there will be tensions. 
There will be people stepping on each other's toes. There will be people working on similar things, proposing competing ideas. The alternative is just waiting for somebody else to pick up the slack and only one entity doing everything. We've been there with block one. It does not work. It operates too slowly. We've got, we could go on on why does that, that, that doesn't work, but it's much simpler. It's much more efficient. There's no, there's no tensions. Basically, you just wait around. We are in the process real time right now. And so it is messy. It is difficult. This is what we choose to do, though, in order to be able to accelerate the innovation so that multiple people can try and attempt to solve concerns or to try and innovate and try to move us forward more rapidly than what we were in before. But yes, with that that speed, also we kind of lose efficiency in our way. We build, we create tensions between different different people's different teams. One of the challenges decentralized protocols have is they tend towards stasis. No one can agree, so nothing can change. Uh, and you see this with a lot of early internet protocols, um, IRC, mail, email. Uh, these systems have not really been able to evolve because they were very decentralized and it becomes impossible to co coordinate upgrades. Bitcoin. Yes. Yeah, Bitcoin is an example, yes. Uh, and the longer a decentralized system is operational, the harder it is to change. What we see is that new businesses start up central, completely centralized uh, and take these old protocols and revive them and people adopt them because it seems that people would prefer to have rapid innovation and new features uh, rather than stasis. Now you need organizations willing to take the risk of removing the floppy drive, right? Deprecating the CD, uh, all the things that Apple gets flack for, for you know, removing too soon or forcing people into the future or removing ports that people use. Um, you know, that some of those things are necessary to make forward progress. And if we keep holding on to the past uh, or allow the need to have universal agreement, everyone has to agree and we can't upset anybody, then the result is going to be uh, stagnation, uh, which puts people like Eve with the Ian Network Foundation and myself in a precarious situation because we want to advance the protocol. And in doing so, some toes will be stepped on. Uh, and the alternative is to not do anything, but that steps on other toes, right? If we don't do anything, then other chains eat our lunch. People leave for new chains that will implement the things that are needed uh, and take those bold steps. So we have to walk this fine line between taking risks, uh, not, not necessarily trying to appease everyone, not trying to design everything by committee, because that's the other thing is the more people you involve in the discussion, the longer it takes to reach consensus. Uh, and this is one of the things I've been looking at when I've been studying community governance. If you have a dictator, you can reach consensus very quickly. You can go left, go right, make decisions. You have two people, all right, well, now you've got to get them on a call. They have to talk things out. Maybe you can reach consensus in, in an hour. As you go to 10 people, to 20 people, to 100 people, the amount of time it takes to reach consensus and move forward securely uh, increases um, exponentially. So uh, that is the challenge, is finding the balance between moving forward and not being subject to a dictator. Um, and 
think that's, that's one of the challenges of the ENF, really. Dan will be presenting ideas. Dan will be presenting proposals for code changes. The network may decide to adopt or not adopt some of the things that, Dan, you present. Because there are other competing ideas that will be competing with what you are presenting. What will you do if the network doesn't adopt your ideas? Or what happens if the network does choose to, that, that the best decision or that the, the, the outcome that the network is looking for through the ENF, through the block producers, ultimately, they're the ones who decide, they decide to adopt your code. So can you talk a little bit about both scenarios? One is you propose something because you need it for your application. You think it's worthwhile. You present it as a, I believe this is value add, but it doesn't get merged in or approved. And the other one where, great, it does get approved. Can you talk a little bit about both? Because right now I think there's a, a lot of misunderstanding of anything that Dan says automatically is getting pushed in the code and is now the Dan show. Well, at the end of the day, yeah, I'm trying to eat my own dog food in the sense that I'm building a business and my business uh, is it's a for-profit business. I'm, you know, I'm not offering charity. I'm trying to build a successful uh killer application for the market that solves real world problems and uses the EOS network as the best tool for doing the job. If the EOS network is no longer the best tool because it's stagnating or it's not doing the upgrades, then I have to consider what's best for the business to accomplish the ultimate business goals. And I'm not the only business that's having to make these choices, right? So if EOS is unable to move in a direction that allows for easier user signup, that allows for easier token management, that allows for uh, easier name allocation, that um, you know, all these subtle things that make huge differences on the final user experience. If EOS can't do that and some other EOSIO derivative can, then you're gonna see people moving to WAX, moving to Telos, moving to whole new chains um, in order to adopt the vision. So the way I see things needing to uh, evolve is we need to have lots of ideas funded simultaneously and see you know, where people follow. Do people adopt ideas? Oh yeah, that's popular, great. You, it's a, if, as a, a VC firm, you don't try to pick, well, which of these hundred startups is gonna be a success and invest in just that one. You invest in them all and you see which one gets product market fit. Right? It's entirely possible that my new designs are more clunky or hard to use or some way that I haven't considered uh, or that they don't play well with other people's designs and other people might have better ideas than me. If there's another community standard that's getting traction that works, I'm happy to adopt it. I don't want to have to reinvent everything. That's not a, a good use of time, but I also can't wait around for two years for a community of people to reach consensus to deploy something. That's just not sustainable for, for business growth. I think um, it's also important to go back to what you said about how the bigger the committee, the longer the decision-making takes. And I think we need to kind of create um, a separation of what you're suggesting for system contract upgrades and what you're suggesting for protocol level upgrades, because I've seen a lot of uh, feedback coming from your recent posts and some of the criticism was coming from other EOSIO iterations who maybe felt like some of 
these concepts are being forced on everyone, but really a lot of what you've been presenting recently would be EO specifically, and it's kind of separate from what you're proposing in Mandel, whereas uh, what you propose in Mandel, most of the other EOSIO chains are, are pretty on, on board, it seems like initially to, to implementing that, but the, the token registry and, and the name au auction changes you suggested recently, there's been feedback, but I don't think everyone quite understands that some of this, like Mandel is protocol level, that would benefit all EOSIO chains, but then there's other things like what you've suggested recently, and those are more system contract changes, and the, the other chains don't have to adopt it. That's like the flavor of the chain. So the committee is essentially a lot smaller for some of your suggestions than others, and I think it's important to note that. Yeah, so let's identify the difference here. Protocol level changes require all full nodes to upgrade. Every exchange needs to upgrade. Every API node needs to upgrade. That's major. It's like trying to hard fork Bitcoin. And we want to minimize those and we want to keep those changes as small as possible. System contract level changes, they're just a smart contract that has a couple extra privileges and not some of these don't even have extra privileges other than um, being managed by the block producers. Um, so those contracts can be upgraded without any nodes having to change a thing. It's just the block producers sign a multi-sig and and now there's new features on the network. And a lot of the things I'm proposing are just new features. They don't really break anything that's already existing. They just create new possibilities. Um, so there's, you know, if we get to the point where we don't even want to allow the potential for there to be new possibilities because, well, maybe those aren't the right new possibilities. Um, you know, that's it's sort of like freezing because, it's, well, it's not good enough, so it can't go anywhere. I think, uh, Jordan Peterson said it best. You have to set your sights on, you know, a North Star and go in that direction. And if you, you have to start moving because if you're sitting still, you're not making any progress. And you might realize that, you're, you know, a year down the road, you're slightly off the mark, but now you have more information and you can readjust and move closer to the mark. But if you're sitting still and you're just trying to debate which way is the right way to go, you're never going to get anywhere. So we have to be willing to take the best step forward that we can take today, given the information we have, knowing that we can pivot these things in the future if necessary. I think there's a, a real fear that, well, it's so hard to change anything. If we adopt something new now, we might never change it. We might never fix it. Um, but I, I think that just has to do with solving the governance problem, uh, identifying risks, taking appetite, and realizing that just because uh, some people might have other ideas of what we could prioritize or could be doing. Those things aren't going to magically get done just because I'm not doing this thing that you don't want me doing or you don't want ENF doing. Uh, it's not like we stop working on what we want to do and all of a sudden we're going to work on what you want us to do. That's uh, a mindset that I think a lot of people have. If you're doing that, that means you're not working on what I want. And uh, I think that's a false uh, Equivalents, all right. You know, people want to complain, I guess, until you're doing exactly what they want you to do. Um, but that's that's the recipe for being unhappy if you're always complaining that other people aren't doing what you want them to do. Can we talk a little bit about the feedback process? Because one of the things, really, that that um, I see there's a lot of frustration in the community, and I get frustrated about this as well by reading kind of the back and forth that that's occurring is. 
how can we gather feedback on an idea if we don't present the idea? And then if we don't present the idea, then there's nothing to talk about and people complain because there's nothing to talk about. But if we do present an idea, then people complain that it's not the idea that they want to talk about. And they feel like, well, it's the ideas, especially if, if you write it, that because you wrote it, it's already done deal. Can we talk about a little about that feedback process and how essentially we're doing it live and how we uh, that is likely going to be one of the bigger challenges that we have in this new model of having multiple teams compete for attention, compete for resources, working on different things all at the same time. The bigger challenge is going to be how do we that that feedback loop process and when do we start that feedback process so i know for us with the enf with the working groups we're going to be publishing blue papers uh two of them have been or two of them are being sent to translation either today or tomorrow they're in line to be released uh the week of the 24th now that's the format that we chose to then so within those working groups there are people those people were chosen so they're privileged yes those people were privileged to work on something those people, though, went out and did feedback in their own methods. Then the public grandiose feedback process will occur when those um, blue papers are essentially released. That's when the, the let's say, the, the complete public feedback uh, uh, portion of things happen. In your case, you've been talking about a white paper, for example, but you've been releasing articles here and there, gathering feedback while that's happening. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because... Yeah. That's, I think, where a challenge is going to be is how do we improve the process of gathering feedback because we've never been in that position before. We've never had this before. The way I gather feedback is first I talk to my team. Uh, and that's where I bounce ideas back and forth. It's a closed circle. There's lots of freedom to express crazy ideas that then can get shot down without them uh, worrying about backlash or judgment because they know that this is just how innovation occurs. You have to be willing to present crazy half-baked ideas and see where it goes. I start with my small team. If I start to like get some traction or consensus with my team, I reach out to a couple other community members just to see what they think. And then I write a blog post. Writing the blog post is usually me thinking through the idea for myself and trying to articulate it for almost the very first time. After I released the blog post, I go and I, I follow every Twitter comment. I go to the Telegram chats and I read what everyone has to say there. I look at the comment sections on the post uh, and then I engage with the community. Uh, and sometimes even before blog posts, I throw random ideas out in Telegram or on Twitter just to see what people think about some idea, uh, even, even out of the context of the bigger picture of what I'm doing. But either way, I take all this feedback in and then sometimes I have a follow-up blog post. This is all right. This is what I've learned. Here's, here's an enhancement. Uh, I can give an example of how I've listened to the community. Um, you know, I, I came up with the token symbol name auction process based on the name auction. It seemed like a lot of people were really, really frustrated with how the name auction works. It can take too long. It's not predictable, so on and so forth. Uh, and... I'm sympathetic to that. I recognize there's problems with that. And so I've been, well, I've got these other problems that people also complain about, name squatting and, um, and the like. And I'm trying to solve the two things together to create the best overall experience. Uh, so I took all that feedback in and I came up with a new proposal. This new proposal is, uh, you know, eliminates 
the, the auction altogether. And it implements a, a Bitcoin style proof of work price adjustment where every so often the price changes based upon how frequently people are registering names. This means if you want a name, you can just go out there and buy the name. Lots of names can be cheap. You can get them right now and high quality names, uh, you know, shorter names, whatnot, might be slightly more expensive, but the process is simple and we're still fighting the, the name squatters uh, and, and so forth. That type of design evolution is based on community feedback uh, about some of the shortcomings of the current premium name auction system. Uh, and so I can, I can see a lot of these things. And what I find to be the biggest challenge is any proposal I put out there is all this background context that I have that most readers don't have. They're looking at it through a narrow straw. And I've, I've got my own like narrow perspective that you know, I need to factor in as well, but I'm trying to balance a whole lot of factors. I have to balance security considerations. I have to balance technical implementation approaches. Some people would suggest things like, hey, let's increase the size of EOS account names at the protocol level, at a hard forking level. It goes throughout all the code. That's uh, uh, such a huge undertaking that it never actually happened. It'd be like trying to swap out all of EOS for Cardano or something. It's, it's, it's that big of a, a fundamental change. But I can hear the need for longer, prettier account names in general, and I can propose a system contract level, something that can be deployed without having to hard fork everyone, something that's backwards compatible with what's out there. That, you know, those are the types of things that are factored into some of the proposals. They might not be ideal in some kind of purest sense, but they are reachable from where we are in a cost-efficient, developer-efficient, low-risk approach. And I'm trying to balance all of those things. So it's not just a matter of, oh, what feature would we like today? Oh, we'd like EVM, or we'd like Bitcoin script, or we'd like new intrinsics. There's all kinds of things people would like, but sometimes we have to, to balance the implementation challenges, the migration challenges, the long-term support challenges of various approaches. And so that means I need to take the feedback and I need to provide that extra context. Sometimes people get it, sometimes people don't, but we still need to move forward. I think it's, it's worth reiterating again that, because I, I often see, and we've seen, why are you even working on names? Why are you even working on tokens? Those are non-problems right now. Those are, nobody's complaining about that. This is, there are bigger return on investment items that you could be working on. I want to reiterate that Dan can work on what Dan wants to work at because uh, what Dan wants to work on because he's passionate about it and because it fits within what he's working on, his vision, his application. It's part of his grander scheme or grander application vision. That does not prevent the ENF who works for all that works for all token holders to work on these other things, which are currently happening through the working groups, um, through other initiatives, through funding things like Pomelo. The ENF can fill the gap of things that token holders might believe are higher return on investment right now and are real problems to solve. For those that say Dan is attempting to work on problems that aren't problems. 
they can happen at the same time. They're not mutually exclusive. It is the first time that we are in this position. People need to, to, to recognize that, yes, this is the first time we're in that position. One is not excluding the other. We may have times, and we will have times, it's, it's inevitable that we're going to have competing ideas. Dan's going to say, I want X, and the working groups will be a good example. They'll say, we've done research in the last three months. We think Y. You think X. We think Y. There's competing. And then ultimately, the ENF, or the blog producers, ultimately, will need to decide which direction they go in. Now, at some point, like Dan mentioned earlier, if every single time, and this applies to Dan, but not just to Dan, to others as well, if every single time the block producers side with, in this case, there's only two parties in this example, but let's say the block producers always side with ENF. Then at some point, Dan will say, well, why am I building here? He'll go elsewhere. At the same time, if the block producers all, always side with Dan, then people are going to say, why am I building here? I'm going to go build elsewhere. It's the first time that we have that challenge. It is a challenge, but it's important to note that these things can happen they're not mutually exclusive. They can happen concurrently and they are happening concurrently. And that is more powerful in my opinion, and I believe in Dan's opinion as well, for this process to be the process than to just default to one organization that decides for everything, which we've tried for the last three years and it does not work. It presents its own challenges. Usually the ideas are not mutually exclusive. We can adopt my name approach uh, without impacting anybody else because no one else is thinking about names. It's not a problem to them. Their only complaint is they have some other priority they want done. And so it turns into a, well, if the block producers are having their attention on this name thing, then they're not having attention on my thing, right? So that back to that single threaded mindset. And so we need to recognize that just because I'm advocating enhancements in one area, it doesn't mean we can't simultaneously have enhancements in other areas. You know, there's, entire system for virtual accounts, contract auth, uh, new token standards that need to be tried. And all these things can have a lot of consequences as, as you integrate to the broader ecosystem. But some of them can happen in parallel. Uh, and that's usually more of a attention, you know, single threaded mindset of don't think about that, think about me um, mindset. And I think we need to say, no, think about them both. Right. And, and until we can demonstrate that other proposals aren't making forward progress despite not conflicting. You know, if, if there was a conflict, I think someone has a different name proposal and they're willing to champion it and, and it's more robust, we can try to figure out how can they both coexist simultaneously. And then it's who's going to invest the money to make it happen. And I think one of the beautiful things about what ENF is doing is it's funding both. Why? Because it knows no one can be God and know what's just going to work. One or the other might be more popular, might have more traction. And until it's out there, we don't know. We don't know who's building the killer app. Until it's out there, we can't debate about it. We can't, we can't gather feedback. We can't figure out which approach may be better. Right. Until you try to implement something, you don't know how long it's going to take to implement it. So if I have my team build a couple smart contracts and say, they're ready to go. All the block producers have to do is sign it. It's been tested on a test network. Meanwhile, other people's ideas are still in the, well, I have this idea. I haven't flushed it out in a blog post. I haven't even written any code. You need people to move forward to actually implement things to even consider. And the things that get adopted are going to be the things that 
people are self-funding, building, and trying to get deployed. And every single thing I do, I build a contingency plan for what happens if the network doesn't adopt it. Uh, because I need to make sure that I've got a roadmap that I can count on for my business, just like every other business does. So if my name proposals don't get adopted, all right, what's my plan B? If my token symbol allocation doesn't get adopted, what's my plan B? If, you know, a lot of the reason that I'm presenting these things to the network is I want to enable people to create standardized tokens and tools to be built against standardized tokens uh, and for decentralized communities to issue tokens uh, without having to deploy smart contracts that are managed by centralized development teams. Uh, there's all kinds of liability associated with managing that as, as well as security. We've got a governance system on EOS, the block producers. If EOS provided uh, a token issuance, symbol allocation service uh, that allows communities to use without deploying code and to have free upgrades and, and other mutual benefits because you're, you're on the standard system, that helps the entire ecosystem deal with liability. And that helps me build apps that I couldn't otherwise build because of needing to structure things uh, properly so that I'm not doing, I'm not a money transmitter. I'm not maintaining code that's facilitating tokens for users, but that's a protocol level feature. Everyone benefits when a decentralized protocol uh, supports those types of features. Over this, then we're we're really talking about EOS right now, right? At the EOS level, which is one EOSIO iteration. Now, how does that fit in the plan of all EOSIO iterations? That's why the so the ENF recognizes that again, this is the first time that we're in that position. There was no distinction before. Block one controlled the EOS iteration, the EOSIO iteration, basically everything. Everything was funneled through that. We're now in a position where, all right, EOS has to make business decisions for itself. Likely, each network seems to be that the consensus so far, it's not that it's formal, but that likely each network will have its own flavor of EOS. And that usually happens at the system contract level. But then there are certain things that are going to be common to all of them and certain features that all EOSIO iterations would like to implement at the protocol level, like we talked about earlier. The ENF is also funding a working group to figure out what that would look like. What would be the process to determine hey guys, we're going to do something in EOS, which you can't tell us what to do or what not to do. And likewise, in another iteration, you're going to do something which other networks can't tell you what to do or not to do because that's a business decision for your own network. But where do we have commonalities and where do we think that it makes sense to work together on something because all of us want this? So a good example that, that was brought up uh, in the last few weeks was faster finality. Seems to be right now that if there was faster finality, most of the EOSIO iterations, I haven't seen anybody that'd be against it, but most of them, if they could, they would want that feature. So then we also need to develop processes of, all right, in our sandbox, what are our governance processes and how do we do this, this competition essentially of different ideas that vying for attention, but also at the larger sandbox of how do all EOSIO iterations do this concurrently one against another and together as well. It's the first time, again, that we're in that position to do that. So, and, and it's happening live. I need to stress that, that the process that you're seeing is happening right now. There 
is no magical guidebook. There is no roadmap that, that's already predetermined that we are following. We are figuring it out because we've never had to do so. We're figuring it out all together right now. And part of what the ENF essentially is funding through Dan as well, and what we funded when the ENF funded the Eden uh, 1.0 process was to figure out ways where maybe we can scale that governance on chain to be able to come and help those processes. But we also recognize that whatever is the output of that may take a long time. In the meantime, we still have to innovate. We can't wait for five years until all of this is done. So we need to do something kind of patchwork in the meantime, right now, the way we're doing it is through the working groups. Right now, the way we're doing it is Dan and I getting on calls like this, Dan and I having calls, me and the working groups having calls, the working groups and everybody else having calls. We're doing it live. It's really important for people to recognize that. There is no magic solution. We're trying to figure it out. That is one of the functions. One of the things that people need to realize is that when you're coming together, with a group of people, right? Like all the different USIO chains. Yeah. If you have an opinion and you want it to go a certain way, what skin are you providing? Because it costs everyone else time and money just attempting to hear your opinion and synchronize with you, right? And so there's a, and this is a problem with all community building in general is there's uh, an investment you have to make in building the relationships and reaching consensus and doing things with people. And the benefit from that collaboration has to be greater than the cost of the collaboration, right? And so if there's a feature that all chains want, like faster finality, and all chains want to offer an opinion on how that's done, each of those chains and each of those parties needs to provide enough of a contribution to that effort. Maybe it's in the form of providing one of their developers. Maybe it's in the form of providing some funding. But if they're not providing enough contribution to justify the time to hear from them, then it's, um, it's kind of leeching and slowing the progress of consensus building on everyone else. Because you're asking for an opinion and you're not, you're asking to be heard and you're not contributing. Uh, and that's one of the challenges with, with working with many different chains. Uh, and it's great. And I'm a big fan of trying to be inclusive in what, what Eve's doing with the US Network Foundation. But I would uh, highly encourage that we moderate our desire to incorporate opinions of, of communities with, that aren't contributing anything other than, you know, they're either complaining that we're not doing it how they want it or, um, you know, put some skin in the game and then you can have a voice, I guess, is my, my stance. I'm building on EOS um, and, you know, I've got lots of skin in the game for, for EOS. Uh, but it'd be nice to see these other chains in these working groups if everyone puts skin in the game. Because I think that that is the only way that we're going to have a successful cross-chain collaboration that makes sense. Because otherwise, all the EOS folks or all the WAX folks or all the TELUS folks are like, you know what, I'm out here. It's faster just working my own team because there's not enough benefit from the collaboration to overcome the cost of the collaboration. And that's what the EOSIO Plus working group is going over right now. It's this idea that by default, it will be easier and it would be easier to just all go our separate ways. It will be harder to figure out a way to work together. And so that is the challenge that the EOSIO working group is trying to figure out. 
if there was a membership, what would that membership look like? Who would be a member? Is there a cost to be a member? What would be the governance process? Is it is it an entity? Does it need to be an entity? Who gets a weight? Who gets a say? How does that work? All of this, again, we've never had to do before. So we're trying to figure it out. Um, and what think, are the synergistic benefits associated correct. with EOS adopting a change that or, or slowing its development schedule, right? Because that's the cost. The more people involved, the slower it goes. So EOS slowing down how fast it can achieve faster finality in order that other chains might also achieve faster finality. What do we benefit by them having faster finality? And what do they benefit by us having faster finality? What do we benefit from the feature they want and vice versa? Uh, and if there's not that mutual benefit, then all of a sudden the incentives are, are misaligned and it's altruism at, at a certain point and altruism only goes so far. Um, and, and I think that that's, that's one of the challenges. I think the main thing that we could benefit from is, is sharing liquidity between all the chains. Uh, as we, uh, if we have aligned economic incentives, so their success results in our success and vice versa, then uh, we have incentive to work together. As long as our tokens are completely independent, there's no liquidity benefits associated with it. There's no um, shared infrastructure, right? If, if we're building a wallet, can that wallet be used on their chains or not? Um, that type of uh, thing, like we need to identify the things that we're funding that all chains can use. It's not just can they use it, but if the other chain has it, it benefits us. Uh, does it allow apps to work on both chains? Are we supporting bridging or are we building silos? And all those things have to be considered as we're considering um, joint efforts that it will necessarily slow down the rate at which EOS can develop to the extent that we have to wait for this larger group of people to come along, right? It's like, well, I would say that that challenge exists on their side as well. They're looking at EOS and saying, why is EOS slowing my progress down? Right? So it's, it's not, exactly. it's not, so Mutual. that's why it's important that it's EOS is not above everybody else and everybody else is slowing EOS down in actually for, I would say for the last three years, in a way, they innovate way faster than EOS has. And EOS has been slowing it down. And EOS has been pulling it down from a branding perspective, from a narrative perspective, uh, oftentimes from a co-development perspective. All of this is what we're trying to figure out right now. And then I would even go further. So when Dan mentions that there are certain aspects that we need to consider, right? So we mentioned earlier, there's some technical aspects. There's some, there's some uh, maintenance aspects. There, there, there are things that we need to consider on how do we deploy? When do we deploy? What will happen next? Well, there are things that are also a little bit less tangible, like branding, like marketing, like past history, like business. Um, there, there are other things that the ENF has to consider that Dan considers for his application, which may conflict with what we're considering for the ENF for the network as a whole. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It's fine. And so I, again, need to stress that we will not always align, but overall, I think Dan had a really good um, uh, analogy earlier of if you're looking at the North Star and you're trying to figure out where to go, both of us at this point, I think that includes not just the ENF, but the working groups under the ENF, the other chains right now, everybody's looking at, all right, let's go generally in that direction. We may have slight differences on how we plan on getting there and we may turn to left when somebody else is turning it right or whatever, but ultimately there does seem to be alignment on 
let's go to the North Star, generally in that direction. If we don't take a step forward and all we do is just wait on, well, should we go 178 degrees or 179 degrees or 180 degrees? Ultimately, we're just paralyzed and we're not moving. We're not doing anything. Moving though, then we moved a little bit. We moved you know, one step forward at 178 degrees. Shit, other people didn't like that. And that maybe wasn't the right move. We should have went 179. Great, now we have more information. Now we figure out, now we need to adjust a little bit more to the right. And we do this frequent iteration over and over and over more rapidly than we've ever been able to do before, which is more challenging. It's definitely more difficult. It's definitely more stressful. The alternative is not doing anything. And we've been there. It doesn't work. Yes, you have to be willing to fail. And you have to accept that uh, you know, some failure is better than not taking the risk at all. Um, you know, oh, isn't and this 100% of the shots you don't take? Yeah, and, and right. analogy, failure is not bad. Yeah. Failure means that you've tried. Not trying is bad. Failure is not necessarily bad. How you deal with failure is what we have to now um, perfect. How do we deal with when things don't work out or when there are tensions or when there are conflicts? That's where now a lot of the focus is. But that's a better problem to have than let's not do anything and let's, let's be scared of what might happen if we do do something. Yeah, the biggest analogy I can have here is from the history of EOS, right? When we originally uh, released the code and the community launched it, there were a lot of people saying, it's not tested enough, we can't go forward, right? And so their proposal was effectively, test it more until I feel comfortable that this thing's not going to break. And that could be one month, it could be six months, it could be a year. There's always going to be someone who says, I don't feel like it's quite ready yet. Uh, in which case, you know, they worry that if something breaks, we might have some downtime, right? Oh, the network hung up and it took us 24 hours to fix it. Okay, you still released it a month earlier. If you wait a month to try to find this bug that you might never have found, uh, you have a month of downtime effectively in order to save a day of downtime. Uh, so we have to understand that uh, it's okay to have some downtime because the alternative is to have downtime while you're waiting, effective downtime, it might not be like the whole network's down, but you might not have a new feature that you want, right? This new feature is not here for six months. We have six months of downtime for that feature because we are unwilling to release it earlier uh, and take some risk. Now, obviously there's some benefits here and you have to do some analysis like what's Always the worst scenario, right? But we well, ultimately, know- Ultimately you make a decision, right? Ultimately decision paralysis is the problem. And we see that the market values those that experiment and those that innovate more frequently. So you talk about downtime. Solana, famous right now. I think it's the third time in a couple of weeks they go down. The market values that more than not doing anything. EOS, it's clear the market does not value not doing anything. So when people talk about, Dan, why aren't you focusing on price? This is, in a way, focusing on price on trying to innovate. That is what the market is telling us. The market is not telling us that the name is important or the token symbol is important or the blue paper is important. The market is telling us, try to do stuff, try to innovate, test it out, get it out there. You, if, Like Dan said, you might think that this is the idea. Well, the market might tell you it's not, but if you only tried one and you spent six months doing this thing, it's possible it won't even work. It's possible the market won't react, they won't care. You just wasted six months. Instead of in that six month period, trying a hundred different things, one of them sticks. 
And that one thing that sticks brings everybody else up and everybody benefits from that one thing. But in the meantime, yeah, it was difficult because everybody was running in parallel and everybody's stepping on each other's toes. But the market values that. We see that. That's non-arguable. We see that EOS has lost that competition in big part because it does not try to innovate. It stagnates. It doesn't do anything. There's no news. There's even the news that some blockchains have gone down actually increase its price because it went down because of, because of, because of. You never know. But the idea is you never know until you try. And, and we have this paralysis of let's not try because we're afraid to fail. Let's not try because it's difficult. Let's not try because we're putting ourselves out there because we're, we're going to be victim of criticisms because people will shut us down because they have, they have a better idea, a better solution. So let's just not try. And this is where we're trying to completely change the narrative of let's try. Let's try a lot of different things and let's fail. Let's fail, let's fail frequently, often, but controlled. So it's also important not just to go willy-nilly and just, just you know, spend on everything and basically not have any processes. There is a balance, but it's definitely not the all or nothing try without any accountability or don't try anything at all. We're trying to find where that medium is and that's going to change continuously. That's an ever-changing whatever needle. We're trying to walk that fine line. And yes, it is a fine line, which means that sometimes we're going to fall on one side or the other. That's okay. It's fine. Yeah, some things can be reversed and some things can't. Right. For example, if you had a bug that resulted in everyone's private keys on the entire network being exposed, you can't recover from that. Um, but pretty much anything else you can recover from because all a blockchain is, is consensus. And if everyone knows what should have happened, then the network might go down for a week while we code things up, we reset state. All right. That's the kind of like worst case extreme uh, scenario, but it's all recoverable with you know, a, a minimum amount of downtime. Um, and by taking certain precautions, the ability to say, hey, things are getting out of control, just shut down the network, okay, figure things out and then bring it back up. Uh, that might seem like inconceivable to a lot of people. How can you shut down the network? Well, at the end of the day, all you really cost people is a little bit of uh, liquidity during the time that they couldn't transact. It's massively inconvenient, uh, but as a startup growing, you know, that's what, that's what you're risking. It's not saying that that's what's going to happen. I'm just saying worst case scenario, if that were to happen, would that be the end of the world? No, you've seen other chains that have had that same thing happen. It's not the end of the world, right? In the history of BitShares and Steam and EOS, there's been a number of times where there was some bug and it caused the network to halt and we got it back up and running in hours or a day. Um, and then the network went on and now no one even remembers those events anymore. Because in the grand scheme of things, that one day of downtime was uh, not the defining factor. It didn't kill the network. And as the network matures, the probability of that happening decreases and you get more and more safeguards. So we can design these things so they fail safe rather than failing in an unsafe way. And there are also other iteration or other considerations as well, where for the <laughs> Solana example, uh, it, the, the Solana example, Solana right now has a lot of momentum. So they have a little bit more leeway to fail. The threshold of what happens when they fail is probably higher 
the market doesn't react as much. Whereas EOS maybe right now doesn't have the luxury of failing as often to that extent, the, the extent that Dan just mentioned of network shutdown. So again, the balance is ever changing. Maybe right now the changes that we propose aren't changes that might ultimately lead at the worst case scenario to breaking the chain. Maybe we don't have that luxury right now. Other chains have that luxury. We always, we, we consistently or we continuously need to look at where we are and what is our environment, where is our sphere of control, what can we do, what are the worst case scenarios, and that changes all the time. So there's not, again, there's not one magical solution, it's ever changing. That's why so much of my focus is on system contract, web assembly level changes. Those types of changes are very, very unlikely to bring down the entire network um, and can be fixed with a multi-sig and deploying a new contract. Uh, so it's, uh, and that's why when I look at all the various proposals coming from different teams, anything that puts more logic into WebAssembly, I support. Anything that suggests more features at the core level, I'm generally against, unless those core features enable more stuff at the WebAssembly level. Because if we, you know, if we can get to the point where you know, we're no longer even ever creating accounts at the main level. And all accounts are created inside WebAssembly. And, uh, you know, that kind of um, flexibility uh, is going to be huge for the network overall. Um, so but the advantage to that as well is that then all EOSI iterations can have their own flavors much easier as well because then everything yeah. is at the system contract level. And so you want this flavor, do you want this flavor, do you want this flavor? And as long as we figure out how they can talk to each other, which is another advantage you mentioned before, if they're linked economically, or if we have faster finality at the protocol level, then the, the capability or the possibility of them speaking to each other very, very quickly, then opens up more doors as well. Yes. Um, so you'll notice that on Ethereum, the ETH token is, a special case at, at the, uh, it's not done at an EVM level, it's done beneath the EVM level. It's not the same as an ERC20 token, but on EOS, our token contract is the same as every other token contract out there. Uh, even the election process, the delegated proof of stake process, all of that is done in the smart contract itself. We could go from, um, the current way of selecting block producers to an entirely new way of selecting block producers without changing any, without any hard forking changes because it's all just system contract stuff. That's incredibly powerful. Yeah, uh, that, yeah I don't think people realize that how, how great, how, how much of that in itself is a feature, which is kind of the base of EOS. It can upgrade itself while running. It's the changing of the, the engine in an airplane while it's flying analogy. Yeah, and it can do so without... You know, if you look at the fact that we launched the community, launched EOS, and it didn't need any hard forks until there was an intentional hard fork to upgrade something. There are no hard forks to fix anything. And any of the fixes we were able to patch at the WebAssembly smart contract deployment level. That's a huge testament to the, to the quality of the code that is serving as the foundation and to the design of, of EOS. Uh, and that's why I want to move more in that direction so that some of the things that are still done, like resource management and accounts and, and whatnot, more of that stuff is moved into WebAssembly. Um, and, and we can emulate all of EVM inside of WebAssembly right now. 
and, and actually run more Ethereum contracts through our platform on top of WebAssembly than Ethereum can. Uh, so there's, there's huge architectural advantages that we should take advantage of. You mentioned EVM. So I, I think a lot of the issues recently are you're sharing ideas on things that other people don't necessarily think should be a priority, but they do mention EVM as a priority. That's still happening. And we don't need to talk about that because that's another working group. They're working in parallel. One thing that you're working on is something that almost everyone's agreeable on, and that is passive income opportunities and ways to earn for providing value to the ecosystem. So I want to talk a little bit about what you've been hinting at towards your white paper with the DAC of DACs or the DAO of DAOs. And you mentioned shared liquidity, shared incentives with other EOS IO chains, but within EOS itself, it would be shared incentives, shared liquidity between DACs and DAOs. Could you kind of just give an overview of um, what, what, how you envision Eden 2.0? And especially for me, I think it'd be important to share kind of the, the DeFi aspects of it all, because that's something that EOS has been lacking is protocol uh, level like rewards and yield that other chains have benefited from. So, you know, we built Eden and Eden's been a fantastic experiment in democratic governance. Uh, and I think a lot of the people that participated in it have really enjoyed the fact that they got to meet other people. They got to hear ideas, they felt heard and the community generally put up quality leaders, right? We've got uh, Gray Mask team represented. We've got you know, Violet Garden, we've got EOSBs uh, and you know, Chris Barnes, who's been out there advocating for EOS and governance and all that. Pick some really quality people uh, out of um, 100 plus people that are participating and they had fun doing it. I think that we learned a lot and that we can iterate um, and so Eden 2.0 uh, is, is what my team is designing now, taking all those lessons learned, uh, bringing a token into the mix uh, to um, allow internal accounting within inside of a particular Eden community, uh, which is a little bit more flexible, right? It's, it's like a dynamically allocating the budget uh, instead of you know, having to directly denominate everything. Um, but I'm really excited about the, the white paper. Uh, I've been thinking it through and I've, I've concluded that I want to release a video that explains the entire process. And I'm going to release the video before the white paper, uh, because I think the white paper is one of those things that academics want a lot of precision and they want all the details there and they're going to reference it for a long time to come. A video is probably more of uh, in line with what everyone actually wants to know, what you're trying to get me to answer in advance uh, here. Uh, I think it'd be better served for everyone for me to present it with the pro proper graphics uh, and diagrams so that people can follow what I'm talking about. But generally speaking, all these different projects, all these different tokens that build on a chain, all these DACs, these centralized autonomous communities, they all have a token and they want to collaborate and you want liquidity. So I am a big fan of network provided DeFi. Uh, you know, that's you know what some of the motivation behind my changes to the token contract, adding built-in support for bank core liquidity between things is because I know that if you have a lot of different DAX running on a chain, they all have their own token. They all benefit from having 
built-in liquidity. They all benefit from being able to transact on a pay a fee basis instead of having to get confused with the resource system on EOS. Um, and if there's that shared infrastructure there, then you can have all these DACs. Now, you can view a DAC. If you view the blockchain like a country, it's a territory. Uh, and all these uh, DACs as companies within that territory, you're really creating a democracy of companies, right? Because each of those DACs has an interest in the underlying infrastructure. They're dependent on the underlying infrastructure. If the underlying infrastructure breaks one DAC, uh, that's going to be a problem, right? And so I think each DAC needs to have a representative uh, and that representative comes up and that protocol level decisions are made by the representatives from all the DACs uh, rather than all the people individually like advocating for protocol level changes. Um, so it's democracy of democracy. Each DAC is democratic. The network as a whole is a democracy of those DACs. Each DAC gets one vote. Um, rather than, you know, the DAC with the most users getting all the votes and all the other DACs get nothing. Uh, it's really about a way of, if I'm going to, if a community is going to build on a particular protocol, they want to be represented uh, and have some stake in the underlying things. If you're going to move to a country and you're going to build a business and buy a house, you're going to want to know that you're represented in that country uh, and they're not going to just change the rules and validate your business and regulate you out of existence. And that's what every DAC has. So when I say DAC of DACs or DAO DAOs or democracy of democracies, that's what I'm saying. It's like saying the United States is a democracy of states. Each state gets one vote. Within each state, it's a democracy of counties. And within each county, it's a democracy of towns. And with each town, it's a democracy of people. Right? That's, that's a fractal approach to governance, keeps decisions made as local as possible. You build consensus, you bubble it up, and then that whole community expresses the consensus to the next level up, and so on and so forth. This is the direction I'm, I'm taking, and I'm really, really excited about Eden 2.0. I'm really, really excited about our new branding that uh, I'm just itching to release, but uh, I, you know, I wanna make sure it's perfect before, uh, before it comes out. Um, I guess you guys on the call know, what it is, uh, but <laughs> a lot of good things are coming in and I think that it has potential to revolutionize how people build decentralized autonomous communities, self-funding, self-motivating, self-growing communities. Uh, and if that works how I think it's going to work, then you're gonna have all kinds of people that come to EOS for the very first time. They're inviting people to, to EOS. The account creation problem is gonna be so transparent that people aren't even thinking about it anymore. Um, and it's just gonna be an incredibly usable experience. It's going to cause a lot of communities to have tokens that are gonna go up in value. They're, all these tokens going up in value are on the network with shared liquidity with EOS, which brings EOS up and, and they all kind of all, any community grows, brings up all the other communities around it. And, uh, I think the, the power of this model is when you contribute to a community, you, know, you can have an outsized influence on the local community and you get an outsized percentage of the rewards of that community growing, right? If you make a difference in your town and your town grows, you, you reach profit, but your entire state benefits and the whole country benefits from, uh, from that town growing, but the people in the town should get benefit the most and the 
further away you are from where the change was, the, the less the benefit should go. If you have a, a federal government that's trying to reap all the profits of someone trying to contribute to their town, you're not going to have the growth that you need for, for the town. You're not going to have the economic incentive. It's like trying to tell an entrepreneur, uh, you're going to work for salary and you don't get to reap any equity. Uh, you know, the, you don't see the outsized growth of your contributions when, when all you do is get paid for the job and you don't get exposure to the upside of your specific actions. Uh, and that's why you need a fractal structure. That's why you need many tokens so that you motivate more total contributions and they all bubble up to result in the entire ecosystem growing. Um, and if you have that many communities and you have that many tokens, you're going to need a decentralized exchange between them all. Uh, you're going to need DeFi uh, and some serious DeFi. And I think EOS is the perfect platform for building those DeFi applications, whether it's Bancor or whether it's a hybrid order book like Bullish has implemented. There's all kinds of different things that we could implement on the EOS blockchain. So that's really what has me the most excited. And I think communicating that to the EOS community. So even people who aren't necessarily interested in the governance aspects of, of the DAC of DACs, the DeFi aspects of it are, are going to be quite innovative. So uh, like with the um, protocol on liquidity, for example, the, the more DACs there are, the more bets. It's kind of like being a VC and you make a bunch of small bets into hundreds of companies. You only need a couple unicorns and, and you, you win as a VC. So that's essentially what EOS could potentially do with this model. And let me stipulate that the block producers would have the ultimate say on if anything's being done with an inflation distribution into the DAC of DAX model that you've presented some graphics for already and you'll continue to. But if, if you imagine a liquidity pool where one EOS equals one Dan DAC token, they're both being fed in from inflation and then the Dan token goes 10X, both EOS and Dan's DAC only contributed one token each initially, but then Dan's token went way up. That would essentially create a, a scenario where a bunch of EOS that's not necessarily um, coming from inflation is getting locked up into that liquidity pool because now uh, there's only one-tenth of a Dan token in the relay, but then there's 10 EOS tokens in the relay, even though the protocol only contributed one EOS in this situation. So any of these DACs, if their value were to go up, it's going to result in a lot of EOS getting locked up by the protocol. So that's something people need to understand is it's going to generate locked up protocol owned liquidity that's not going anywhere. The EOS network's not going to pull their liquidity out. If it's got a lot of EOS in there, it's, it's in there for good in, until people sell into it. The other and thing is... It, it's like fee generation. It's a DEX, essentially. Like there's going to be so much swapping between DAX and DAX, DAX and EOS. All of this swapping and arbitrage is just going to create fees. What we the do with those becomes fees, a DEX, essentially. The whole yeah. application is the DEX. Yes. Yeah. State, state it another way. If you create a model that allows people to come and build DAX easily without having to write any code, right? That, that's, I think, going to be the magic. And people can have an idea of a decentralized community that has some subjective public good that they want to achieve. They can come, they can invite people, they can start doing stuff and they can start creating their own token. And why do they do this on EOS and not somewhere else? Because EOS has built-in liquidity for their token. Because EOS has tools that allow them to do it without having to write a single line of code. 
and uh, and that DEX aspect of things is why people say, well, I'm going to build it here. If I build it on Ethereum, I'm going to have to write code. I'm going to have to manage contracts. I'm going to have to figure out how to get liquidity over there. Uh, it's, it's not baked in. Uh, and the incentives aren't there for collab collaboration between communities. Um, and you go to other chains and they have to do these different things. These other chains won't have the governance model that allows subjective consensus building uh, to achieve public goods. Um, and so by creating those tools, it's like an exchange subsidizing or an exchange starting up that's helping people create startups that are going to list on the exchange. Uh, and, and then it, you don't need anyone else because you've created all the, all the startups and all those startups have people that are motivated to see them grow. And you don't care which one of those startups is successful. Some of them will be and some of them will fail. But all the energy is highly focused on the, the founders of all those different DACs and those communities and, and all those incentives are, are for growth. And all that entrepreneurial spirit can flow in. And then the EOS uh, liquidity decks between it all uh, is just going to be the ideal place to, to start your community. And I think that, that that's the future I see with Eden 2.0 is making it really easy to bootstrap communities, uh, making it super incentivizing people to invite people to the communities uh, and, and reducing barriers to entry to join. So uh, unlike Eden 1.0, there's gonna be no membership fees. Uh, there's gonna be no induction ceremony um, and, and things like that. And it's gonna be super streamlined. Um, so lots of lessons learned. I'm really excited about uh, releasing more information about it in the in the coming week. Now from ENF's like <laughs> Dan's got an idea. Dan's got an application that he just described to you. That may, in theory, work, but it may not work in reality. The ENF is hedging the bets, right? So it's supportive of that vision. The ENF likes that vision, but it's going to take a while. It's going to take time. You're even if tomorrow that was live, there's not necessarily demand for that product tomorrow. In the meantime, the ENF doesn't stop doing what it is doing. And so, for example, we talked about DeFi, we talked about yield. The ENF just, I guess, dropped some alpha yesterday that it's also exploring a yield plus that group is forming. So in the meantime, this is an application that the network is willing to support, but there are other applications or other use cases that the network is currently supporting and will continue to support that it doesn't even know that it's going to support because they're not there yet. All of this can happen at the same time. The network, see, see, maybe now people are starting to see the difference between the ENF and Dan and how one works for all token holders. The other one is trying to build an application that will be leveraged ideally from all token holders and wants to have something that essentially kind of that analogy of changing the engine while the, while the plane is flying, that at some point there would be a transition for that to happen on EOS instead of going to do another ICO. In the meantime, though, we're not there yet. So we need to continue placing other bets, doing other things, mitigating our risks, hedging on Dan's idea. Hedge, Dan, in a way, is also hedging on EOS, hedging on the ENF ideas, and everybody's hedging on each other. And what Dan mentioned with the DAO of DAOs or the, the communities that are formed, it also goes back to why would somebody work on something that you want them to work on 
within Eden 2.0, each community would be able to work on what they believe adds value and what they're passionate about. And if the market determines that that has value, that rises. If the market determines that that doesn't have value, that doesn't rise. But because you're placing so many bets, again, going back on the idea that one of them may hit. And if that one hits, these are tried and tested methods. The more bets you place, if you mitigate risk, right? So it's not just willy-nilly again. If you have a good system in place, the more bets you place, the higher the likelihood of having one hit that rises everybody else. And that's how you upgrade, upgrade, upgrade. And if you create a system that's able to do this efficiently and rapidly, then your upgrades end up happening way more frequently than they would have if you're just spending the time waiting around for one thing. So going back to Dan's working on something, I agree with that vision. I think that's an awesome vision. I think that there's future in that, but it will take time. And the ENF also wants to hedge that that may not work as planned, just like Eden 1.0. Certain things work, learn. All right, there might be an Eden 3.0. Continue iterating. That can happen while other things are happening as well. They're not mutually exclusive. And that's why I think Dan and I share a common vision while also maybe not agreeing on the near-term approach or the medium-term approach or the, but the idea is the North Star is still there. We're still heading towards that idea. How we get to it, we're taking multiple different paths at once to see which one will get there faster, essentially. Yeah, I would like to take an opportunity to clear up some misconceptions that I've seen in the community about Eden 1.0. I've been talking about Eden 2.0 that doesn't invalidate the work that people are doing Eden 1.0. It doesn't, we're still gonna have another Eden 1.0 election. Just, I, I assume that there's still gonna be funding from the ENF because it's still electing leaders and those leaders have funds and they are uh, you know, each pursuing their own visions, whether it's the bees or, or uh, anchor wallet or whatnot. So they're, it's, it is successfully funding infrastructure on EOS um as it is and it can continue to to operate while we're building the 2.0 um just for some general timelines i would expect that the 2.0 will be armed and fully operational by the end of the year but it's it's a big effort it's bigger than even 1.0 in terms of what we're attempting to achieve and a lot of what we're attempting to achieve uh is building on top of some of the proposals I put out in blog posts this week, right? The proposals for tokens and symbol auctions. Yeah, I, went, I want to create lots of communities. I want these communities to be able to create tokens uh, and I want them to be able to do so without having to deploy contracts um, and all these, and then they need a liquidity, right? And, and so I'm attempting to get the EOS network to upgrade in ways that benefits all DAX, anyone who might want to issue a token, anyone who's going to need a liquidity to benefit from the same infrastructure that I'm attempting to build for Eden 2.0 communities. Uh, and so, yeah, and I can release that code earlier than I can release the final full governance 2.0 for Eden, um, which is going to take more UI development, more smart contract development. All of these things are part of a grand vision. I'm not just willy-nilly throwing out, hey, let's enhance the names. Hey, let's add symbol auctions. Let's do this thing. What's it all for? It's because I'm trying to bootstrap DeFi for, for between all the different communities of all the Edens I want to create and do so in a way that benefits maximally all EOS holders. And so 
that Eden 2.0 can use the same shared infrastructure as other tokens. And therefore we can get liquidity between Eden communities and other tokens on the network. Uh, and I think that that, that allowing EOS to focus on the DeFi, the, the economic links between all the DACs uh, that are being created on the EOS network is a, a core function that makes EOS valuable. If EOS isn't providing that, then you can go to any chain because you're going to have to provide it all for your own application anyway. EOS providing that liquidity, that is the thing that's going to drive people to build on EOS instead of build someplace else. All right, and so the ENF recognizes that as well, going back to Yield Plus. Some people just want to have a reason to hold that token in the meantime. Some people want to contribute. Some people want to be active. Some people value governance. Other people value the investment side of things. Other people value the, the application side of things. What we're trying to do as well is, all right, these are the different things that people may value. Let's try to fill each gap as best as possible and seeing what sticks, right? Throwing that spaghetti on the wall and seeing what sticks. I also want to go back to what Dan just said. So he gave you a little bit more insight on what his grand vision is, right? And if he waits until all that grand vision is fleshed out before releasing a paper or before giving the community a chance to see here's what all it is, then people will complain. So put yourself in Dan's shoes. He can't win. If he waits until all that's done, then you're going to complain that he, you weren't part of the process and that you didn't get a chance to maybe provide feedback on that ultimate thing. So Dan chooses to release little snippets of what's going on while telling you what he's working on as well. But then you complain that you didn't get that smaller level of before even he wrote that post of being part of that process. So he does that in Telegram. And so he does the back and forth with you in Telegram and he tries to iterate, all iterating in real time for that big thing. But he can't win because no matter when he releases that information or whenever, whenever he attempts to start gathering that feedback will never be satisfactory to everybody who ultimately just wants to be in Dan's brain and just seeing it as it's being created and Dan's team. And that's not, that's not possible. And it's the same thing with all the working groups. Some people, the working groups are attempting to reach out to as many people as possible, but they will fail. They will not be able to reach out to every single person. That's not possible. And so when even when they release their blue papers, I know that they're going to get the same flack that in some cases they're giving to Dan of saying, why, you know, hey, I wasn't in that working group. I didn't get a chance to, to submit feedback or, and, and such. And so is it fait accompli that your blue paper is what's going to happen? No, at some point, it's good enough to be able to present the start gathering feedback. And that loop is continuous. It's continual. So Dan's got a vision right now that he says is going to take a few years maybe to change the final, final, final of everything's now in place, if it even works that way. In the meantime, it's going to be a continuous, continuous, continuous iterative process. That is the process. That is what I guess I uh, believe is, is a good way forward. And I, I, would, I would imagine that Dan also agrees that is also a good way forward. But we can never win. Whenever we release that information, is never going to be good enough. Whoever's included in that will never be good enough. It never ends. I would say the flip side to what you just said is that there have been other criticisms. You're suggesting these things, but we don't understand your grand vision. Give us the grand vision. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I'm trying to do. <laughs> they want the grand vision in order to understand the, the thing that I've released today. Like, how does this name win? fit into the grand vision? They're like, well, the grand vision is, is only 80% flushed out and 
is in flux and I want to get it a little bit more clear because otherwise it's going to be even more confusion as all right, are we talking about Dan's vision on this date or the week after or the week after or the week after? I, I got to wait until the rate of change slows down so that people are not confused and they're talking past each other. And they're like, well, some people read the first paper and some people read the second, some people read the third. And, and now they're all confused talking to each other because they're like, not everyone follows everything all the time and they can't. Um, and I think there's another thing that uh, everyone who's following along needs to be aware of because it's, it's not necessarily even obvious, but the squeaky wheel is not the majority. The people complaining are not representative of the masses. There could be- Sometimes they are, but sometimes by default, they're they not, but sometimes they are, but by default, it doesn't mean they are. Yeah, I'm saying it's not, it's not correlation causation. Correct. Right. People speak up when they see something they don't like more often than they speak up when they see something they do like. Oh, great. Dan's doing what I want. I don't need to say anything. I'll just sit back and be happy. Oh, Dan's doing something that I don't like. I'm going to, you know, yell and scream. And if you just allow that to, uh, to bias your impression of what the actual consensus is, then you want to, that's why we need processes like Eden, where you're randomly grouped with people and you can talk about things. And you can actually see what people think instead of what the five loudest people in the room who won't shut up about whatever it is that's upsetting them uh, are complaining about. So I'm just pointing out that by being aware of that, uh, if you see something you like, speak up. We need more people to say, yes, I like that direction uh, to balance out the perception of all the squeaky wheels that are gonna say, oh, I don't like that direction. And then the community can actually get a better sense of things. And we have more positive experience. Um, because if all people see is the dissent, all right, Dan's got this opinion, Syed's got this opinion, Aaron's got this opinion, he's got this opinion. If they just see that and they, they don't see all the, hey, actually, you know, there's a lot of good stuff here, then, uh, then that's actually toxic to the community as well. So you can contribute to the community, you can contribute to the success of EOS by voicing the things you like. Let's try to be a, a, a culture of saying, yes, that's great. That would make things Awesome if we had that. I like that you're exploring that idea um, instead of just, just the complaining side of things. And remember that the complainers are often, but not always, a loud minority. Well, there's also the, the other side of the coin as well, where there's some people that no matter what you say, it's the best thing since, since sliced bread, right? And so it's also filtering, and that's the role of the ENF as well. What actually has value and what actually has a reasoning behind that value what actually has criticism and, and what are those valid criticisms and what's kind of the, the extreme that anything that Dan says or anything the ENF says is amazing. Anything that Dan says is garbage. Anything the ENF says is garbage. There's somewhere in between. And, and that's basically the, the filter and the, the process that needs to occur. The line that we talked about earlier, that's a never ending thing. Getting better at that and, and being in this position to even be able to be in that position is something that we now have to deal with because we've never had to deal with before. I, I will say that because the ENF exists, because it's been funding improvements, because I feel like my voice is heard, I feel like I can build on EOS. Uh, and I'm sure other people feel like they can build on EOS now because of the work the ENF is doing. Prior to the ENF uh, existing, my experience was, well, I have some ideas, but there's no way in the world 
the blockchain would ever adopt them because I can't corral all the block producers and get the consensus and make these things happen. Uh, so that, that feeling of helplessness is what caused, causes people to abandon projects. Uh, and I don't, I want to be here and I want to make a difference. And, uh, and I, I think I have a lot of value I can contribute. And I think there's a lot of people that want me to contribute that value. Uh, and so where EOS is today compared to where it was a year ago, I am a whole lot more hopeful that the ship can be steered in a positive direction in a timely manner. Uh, and that is very, very bright. When one of the challenges with the NF on that is how, and, and going back on basically how we got here from, from my point of view, looking at Dan, looking at, at Dan's experience and Dan's other projects. From my point of view, Dan in BitShares was not able to get funded by the network. And so he leaves and does a second project, a second ICO. And then within that project, then there's the disagreement with the network itself, as well as then the, the, I guess the entity itself. And so he leads, creates another one. We have the same thing in EOS where he leaves block one, but where it's the first time that the network maybe has the potential to fund Dan's ideas or to work with Dan that, that that possibly exists so that he doesn't go elsewhere. It is the first time that we're in that position to maybe able to do that so that Dan can now build on EOS, eat his own dog food, no longer being chained by the corporate entity that created that product in the first place. So one of the things that I told Dan early is, and this is, this is a continuous challenge every time Dan writes a post because I just get so many messages in the background. But how can I essentially enable Dan to be autonomous and to be able to be Dan? Because I think, I think everybody, I think there's, there's somewhat of a consensus that when Dan is able to be autonomous is when Dan shines. When Dan is able to work on what he's passionate about, that's when we see a massive inflow of community members. That's when we see value being created. Right? It does not stop other people from also doing the same thing, but we're here in part because of Dan. We're in EOS because he created EOS. So how can we recreate that? So let Dan be autonomous with, however, by having accountability because the network is funding in part Dan. So one of the ways that we decide to do that is that Dan proposes something. And if he, if he completes that, and if the network agrees to it, they potentially refund him or they, they pay him back for that. Right. So he does the work beforehand. Now that doesn't mean that anything that he does and everything that he does gets funded by the network. And so I, I would imagine that Dan also wants to be autonomous at some point where it's no longer the chain itself funding him, but that he's incentivized to build on that product. So, and the ENF is juggling all of that while how can we enable Dan, support Dan, surround Dan, because there is something there. There's clearly something there. But then how do we also ensure that that doesn't impede on others from also being amplified, leveraged, supported, and, and, and essentially uh, uh, surrounded and helped so that they can also do the same thing? And that's the big challenge with the ENF. How do we do that? Not just for him, but for everybody else so that everybody feels like they've got a place and they want to build on EOS. They're supported to build on EOS. And then how do we then eventually make the ENF no longer the, the entity that it is because now it's part of potentially Dan's process of the DAO of DAOs and maybe the ENF is the DAO of DAOs because this doesn't make sense for me to, to be benevolent forever in the sense that if I'm no longer there tomorrow, if I get hit by a car tomorrow, all this crumbles. So we need to figure out a way so that that is no longer the case in, in the future. Again, that's where Dan and I 
agree on the vision of let's work towards something so that I essentially can replace myself. Because it's, if not, it's not sustainable. If not, we're going to hit a wall at some point. It makes no sense. But it, we're in a special situation where it does make sense right now. How do we improve it going forward? Yeah, we all need to build systems that can run without us, right? Um, I'm super proud that the BitShares community, that the Steam community, that the Hive community, and now the EOS community is able to operate and advance uh, independently. Um, they're self-sustaining organisms. And I made sure that BitShares had a funding mechanism uh, to make that happen. Uh, and all these systems had some kind of governance in them that was good enough to allow the community to make forward progress. Um, and, you know, that's still the, the plan. Um, the way I, I'm starting to think about leadership and governance is uh, strong communities need a leader and people follow the leader, but the leader cannot have political power. Um, and I don't have political power. I can only lead by my sheer influence and my ability to cast the vision that people believe in. Uh, and then the community can, can support and adopt the ideas or not. Um, but it's that check and balance between a leader and a political process that protects against, like, let's say I go rogue, right? Then, all right, I'm, I'm out because I went completely rogue. But, you know, if you think about Twitter, everyone starts signing up, they start using it. And then the CEO goes rogue and starts censoring half the, the user base because of political disagreements. That Twitter required a strong leader to come into being, but the people didn't retain the political power to say, no, you're censoring, get ready, because political control and leadership were tied and married together. I think that uh, a network that can honor a leader and follow a leader, yet has the power to check the leader whenever they, you know, for example, like Steam it, the leader sold out to Tron, someone they didn't believe in, and they just forked and started a whole new community. They had the power to put check on the leadership and maintain the community. Um, and the same thing can apply here. I think it's uh, a very powerful uh, concept of you got political power, which needs to represent the will and consensus of the people. And then you've got leadership that's leading them. And if you have political power without a leader, it's chaos, right? Because no one knows who to follow. You're going to elect someone and, and there's, there's no vision. Um, but when you have a, a leader and a political process that kind of backs and provides that check, now you've, you've got, I think, the best of both worlds. So I'm attempting to do the best I can to cast a vision uh, that will see EOS grow, CEOs thrive, make EOS usable, um, and uh, you know that's that's what I'm trying to do. And hopefully, I am successful at casting that vision. And enough people that control the political power within the ecosystem will support the vision. Uh, and I think that that's uh, a beautiful symbiotic relationship between, I guess, ENF, which I kind of view as, I guess, the the political power of the network right now, the block producers backing ENF and so forth. And then I'm the, the soft leadership of the community. Uh, and the two have to come into alignment uh, for, for success. And I think that, I think, sums up from my perspective, 
uh, the relationship between us is, is a check and balance. And that check and balance exists between the ENF and uh, the other working groups within the other teams working as well. It's, it's replicated throughout, right? So that's also a fractal essentially. Yep. Yep. So we really want to thank you guys for organizing this call. And I think we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like two hours in almost. <laughs>